we are uh, full service here this morning, even though, um, yeah, that's, that's a lot. So, um, and, you know, if, if your child is wiggly or squirming, um, a, a thing to keep in mind about that is uh, they're probably bugging you more than they are somebody else. Uh, and if they are bugging someone else, they're bugging them uh, because God wants them to bug them. And uh, if you if you don't understand that, I'll explain that in the Q&A. So, um, yeah, that's the way it works. So, um, so we're going to look at Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Uh, text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, let me pray and we'll read it. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Uh, we thank you particularly for your word uh, to those of us who feel our love flagging who question your love to us and uh, um, are just tired. So um, I pray that you would bless us today by your spirit, uh, reassure us of your love, and then strengthen and energize us uh, to love others. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Philippians 1, uh, 9 through 11, uh, text is uh, up there behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is a a, a great prayer and one that I think you should uh, ask yourself the question right off the bat. This is Paul's telling the people in Philippi, this is what he prays for. uh, And it should uh, cause you to think, what do you pray for? When you pray for people, uh, when you're uh, seeking God on their behalf, what do you pray for? Uh, Particularly if you're a parent, what do you pray for your kids, right? Uh, what do you pray for yourself? I mean, Paul could have prayed a lot of things for the people in Philippi, right? He could have he could have prayed for protection. After all, the church was begun, you know, kind of through a prison ministry, right? Paul was was thrown in jail and then asked to leave uh, town, right? Uh, some certain people there weren't uh, uh, warmly disposed to the church. He doesn't pray for protection. At least he doesn't tell them that he prays for protection. He prays that their love would grow more and more, right? That it's that it would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, this morning, because that's uh, really essential for uh, uh, the, the, the church of God, is for us to come to grips with the fact that our love would abound more and more in accordance with truth and uh, discernment. Now, um, a couple of things uh, to keep in mind about this. When Paul says he prays for your love to abound more and more, he's praying for a very simple thing. And that's simply this, that you would know the love of God and that you would obey. That's it. <laughs> that you would know that God loves you and that you would obey. You would know the extent of God's love for you and that you would obey. Now, now you may be saying, why are you saying obey so much? Well, because Jesus said that the summary of the law is love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. <laughs> Right? It's that simple. Nothing to it. I got this down. Right? 
right? But that, that is, that is the, uh, 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 that's the foundational part of this. That is exactly what, uh, uh, the Christian life is all about. We, we just sang, uh, this great, uh, song, right? Where we talked about, uh, Jesus being our friend and talked about, uh, his love to us, right? It's a pretty profound, uh, hymn, um, Oh, my friend, my friend, indeed, who at my need his life did spend. There you go. That's a summary of this text. At my need. Now, some of you don't feel like you're very needy, or at least you spend a lot of time and energy covering up that need. But the fact is, Jesus saw your need and he gave up everything for it. That's how we know what love is. And because he has done that on our behalf, then that enables us then uh, to go and uh, love more and more. Now, what, what's what's interesting about this is, AJ, you can go uh, uh, put my notes up there. You know, one of the things that as Paul is doing this, he is not just praying this for other people because he's arrived, because his love's perfect, uh, because he doesn't struggle to love. In fact, in uh, chapter three, he's going to say, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Again, because God has loved me, it energizes me to press on. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, what what he is saying here to us is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in him uh, today, then the fact of the matter is you never arrive in terms of your love. Uh, Every day of your life, between now and the time you die, you will have room in your life to grow in your ability to love, to love God, to appreciate and appropriate his love to you and to be about the business of loving others. Now, the, the, the fact of the matter is that, that love is uh, one of these things, if, if we really understand what love is, as we sang, that it's the spending of one's life, the spending of oneself for the sake of another, then one of the things that we'll understand about that is, is that it can be painful, that it can be challenging, that it can be, uh, yeah, that it's, that it's hard and, and often confusing. You know, if, 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 if we, if, if we're not careful, one of the things that we can, we can do is we can water down love to mere tolerance and miss the reality of what uh, the gospel tells us that love is, right? And so as Paul is saying this to these people there in Philippi, as he's saying this to himself, he wants us to come to grips with that. Now, you know, one of the things that I've realized about myself in the last couple of weeks is I'm tired of loving. I, I don't want to love anymore. I don't. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to love difficult people. I don't want to love people who are complaining. I don't want to love people who are tired. I don't want to love, you know, I'm just tired of it. I don't like it. Now, I'm sure all of you are like, gee, what's wrong with Steve? Well, look in the mirror. (laughs) Right? It is a challenging time, right? Really challenging. Um, And and even when I move to love, sometimes I think I don't even know what I would do to love that person. Right? 
I don't, I don't, what, what, what does love require of me? What does God require of me? I, you know, and, and uh, I, 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 can I die on a cross for this person? I don't. What is it that I'm supposed to do for them? Right. So it is challenging. No, no, no doubt about it. But here's the thing. This is. And this is the, the point that Paul is making, the point that the, that the, the gospel has uh, for us this morning. AJ, next slide is um, is this. Right. So the old theological idea that there are certain substances such as God's love that as they are spent, do not diminish, but multiply. I need to hear that. You need to hear that. Maybe what I'm suggesting is pure fantasy, imagining that our love could be like the loaves and fishes at the feeding of the 5,000, right? Uh, They're out there in the wilderness. There's no food. There's a crowd of people. They're getting restless. You know what you're like when you're hungry? (laughs) You know what you're like when you're tired? So the disciples are like, this could get out of hand. After all, you know, Jesus He was not uh, averse to controversy or being in difficult, controversial situations. And they go to Jesus and they're like, you need to you need to cut this off uh, so that these people can get something to eat. And what does Jesus say is what he says to you. You give them something to eat. You love them. Well, all I've got here is a little bit of bread and a few fish. He's like, "Okay, bring it. Right. I'm tired of loving. I don't even have a a loaf of bread or a fish anymore. Right. But what Jesus says here is, listen, you know, this is this is this is the nature of the love of God is that he because we see, because we understand, because we come to grips with the fact that when we were loveless, when we were, in fact, his enemies, When we were, in fact, cold and dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ loved us. When we were his enemies, he loved us. Uh, and, and and, And that is how we know what love is. We know what love is because it has been demonstrated to us in the uh, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what begins to challenge us and to begin to energize us and to say, if I have been loved like that, then how might I love somebody else? Or even better yet, how might God take that little bit, that tiny little bit of love that that is barely there at all in me as I follow him, as I love him, and that he might use that to bless others, right? Uh, this is a this is a hard thing. And there are some of us today who are thinking, well, there are people in my life that don't deserve to be loved. Check. There are people in my life that I'm afraid if I love them, then I'm just enabling them to sin more. Check. There are people in my life that I don't I, that uh, I'm afraid that loving them would signal approval of their lifestyle choices. Check. All of those things. If, if you find yourself in that situation this morning, then you are ripe for this text. And you're right for what what Paul is getting at here, because we tend to hear this word love and we think of it as mere tolerance. But what he goes on to say there is uh, with knowledge and discernment, right, that we love more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Listen, uh, love is only love if God says that's love. Okay, 
All right. So so we confuse ourselves often by thinking that, you know, this just means getting along and and that sort of thing. When, in fact, that, that couldn't be further from the truth, because one of the things that we know about God's love for us is that if he loves someone, what does he do with them? He disciplines them. If if God loves someone, what does he do? He doesn't say they're there. It's OK. No, what he says to them is, I forgive you. I died for you. Go and sin no more. And so the so the reality is that the, 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 what the gospel does for us and what the work of God does for us is it, it causes us as we love, as we interact with those who, who are, are different from us or who differ from us or who we are struggling to love. We need to do that. We do that in the sense that God has given us uh, uh, not necessarily boundaries, but clear understanding of, listen, if you love this person. You engage with them, you involve yourself with them, uh, but at the same time, we have to recognize that if I love someone and they're sinning, I'm not just going to act like it's not there. Now, the way we tend to think about this is, is that we tend to think that truth and love are in conflict with each other. Nothing could be further from the reality of the love that the scriptures talk about. Because uh, the, the, the reality is you are not loving someone without the truth. And without the truth, there is no love. And that makes and you may be thinking that makes things even more complicated and it makes things even even more difficult. Well, the, the fact is, that's why we need this sense of of uh, uh, understanding and discernment. Now, you know, w- one of the things that we tend to think of is particularly in our theological uh, tradition is that discerning and uh, maturity means that you have a lot of knowledge. But the kind of knowledge and the kind of discernment that's being talked about here is knowledge and discernment that doesn't issue so much in the fact that I understand and I can tell you what the Bible says, but it's actually that I live that. And the clearest evidence, Jesus says, the clearest evidence of your maturity and your discernment in Christ is your love. How will people know that you follow Christ? Not because you correct every wrong, but because you love. They'll know you're my disciples when you love. I'm terrible at this. I wish that love was simply correcting people. (laughs) Don't you wish that? Man, it would make life so much easier. Boy, Jesus, I love that congregation today. I told them all the ten things they're doing wrong. Woo, I feel better about myself. Um, I don't know much about love. I do know that I'm very poor at it. And what little, humanly speaking, I've learned about love, I've learned from my wife. And one of the ways that, uh, which is amazing why she is married to me, because... uh, you know, when we first got married, when I was young and, and really stupid, I'm only I'm only half stupid now. But when we were when we were when we were first married, I didn't love anybody much but myself. So uh, I was and I was pretty good at that, but I wasn't very good at loving anybody else. Well, one of the ways that I've uh, she has his, she has taught me uh, about love is not to be on hair trigger to defend myself. Uh, because she, I think, understands the gospel, and because she understands the gospel, she is not. She doesn't need to defend herself. A few years ago, our son 
was uh, getting married in Florida. And uh, as time got closer to the wedding, uh, you know, he kept reassuring us that he had all the plans down for the rehearsal dinner. And he had everything under control. Now, my son, my oldest, who got married, uh, uh, you cannot, you will never find a more loyal a more faithful friend than him. I mean, honestly, that's true. But if you want him to organize something, you're in trouble. Real trouble. The train's off the tracks. Uh, it maybe it was never on the tracks, but in his mind, you know, everything's going smoothly. Well, the problem is nothing's going. So so we realize as we're getting close to the wedding that here's this rehearsal dinner in this venue. We've never been there uh, with a caterer. We've never met. And uh, he's telling us everything's OK. And we're beginning to pick up the vibe that no, it's not, you know, because we thought all we all we have to do is show up with money and everything's going to be great. Well, Suddenly we realize we have to come up with a lot of desserts for 100 people that are gluten-free. So I'm like, well, how hard can it be to find a gluten-free baker in rural Florida? <laughs> well, there's not one. So, we, so she's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this. So she's like buying almond flour. Did you know that almonds have flour? Just like cashews have milk, apparently, right? So, so she's, she is killing herself making these desserts. Killing herself. I mean, we, we got to go to this wedding, and the night before we're leaving, she is baking, 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 baking. We get it all done, we get there, it's great. We, get, we have the rehearsal dinner, and I'm standing next to a... a um, Wife of one of the uh, groomsmen, a boy that I, I love dearly. His wife, you know, of course, what is what does her family do? They run a bakery. So she picks up one of the cookies and she eats it and she says, this is awful. Who made this? And she throws it away. Now, this is here's here's the, the laboratory for love at this moment. Right. What? What are we going to do? Well, my temptation is to go all cookie monster on her, is to go over there. I'll show you who made these cookies and just take the plate up and just eat them all. There. They're awesome. Yeah, uh, that would that would win her heart, I'm sure, and uh, make her uh, know that I am a loving follower of Jesus Christ. So um, so what do you do with that? Well, sometimes love in that situation is you just absorb it and you pray that God love that little girl. And I hope, you know, hope just bless her. And while I want to choke her. Right. So this so the reality in, in, in uh, these kind of situations is, is that this is always going to be messy and unclear. But if you find yourself in a situation where you need someone to pray this for you in the relationships where you're struggling to love, then you are moving towards the thing that Paul is talking about here, that you need discernment, that you need the truth. 
Uh, and so I would submit to you that if you are always confident in the way you love other people and you don't ever feel like you need help or discernment or knowledge or the spirit of God, then you're probably probably not loving. Right. And so what, what he says here is, is, is that we do this, that this will lead to Christian excellence which is the fruit of righteousness. Now, for some of you, when you hear that word excellent, your ears perk up because you like to be excellent, right? That sounds like school. That sounds like getting a grade on your report card, and you know how much you like that, right? The problem is Christian excellence is largely invisible because Christian excellence comes from the knowledge that we are so loved by Jesus Christ, that we have been so blessed by him, that we are set free from having to meet the expectations and have the evaluation of other people tell us you're really excellent. That it is ambition to be invisible. That it is ambition to become less so that Jesus might become more. And so, in fact, what he's what he's getting at here is we as we do this, as we love in this way is 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 not unlike the way in which Jesus loves us, right? The the fact is, as Jesus dies, as he sacrifices, as he gives himself and gives his life for us, the, the fact of the matter is, as we see that, as we hear that, most of the loving that we do, we want somebody to notice and we want somebody to applaud it. When in fact, most of the time, many times when we love those who are difficult, we don't receive that. And that's what makes it all the sweeter, right? So I thought, uh, as we uh, uh, wrapping it up this morning, one of the things that I thought of, in the particular political moment that we're in, love is hard to come by, isn't it? Um, it is amazing. You cannot turn your television on to watch the news to try to find out what the weather is going to be tomorrow without being bombarded with ads. Did you know that the congressional district that this church is in, that there's been more spending in this congressional district for this congressional race than all of the presidential spending for the whole Commonwealth of Virginia. Did you know that? Did you know you were that important? <laughs> Did you know that? So, so, and the ads make me mad. They all make me mad. They all make me want to hurt somebody or they all make me want to go to war with somebody, Right. And so it's it's a challenging thing to figure out how to uh, how to love those with whom we differ. Well, I came across this quotation from our first president uh, and, and partly well, for two reasons. One is he begins to get at what we should desire uh, uh, to what, what love should look like to those who differ from us and for those of our uh, fellow citizens. But also just to think a little bit about I wish politicians talk like this. Instead of the way they talk now, he says uh, he had visited the uh, synagogue in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. I think it's a 1793, I think it is. And so he writes them afterwards. It would be inconsistent with the frankness of my character not to avow that I am pleased with your favorable, favorable opinion of my administration and fervent wishes for my facility. Don't you wish presidents talk like that? I mean, probably 40% of you don't even know what that sentence just said. Basically, he says, I would be uh, remiss. 
uh, and it would be out of character for me not to tell you I'm glad you like my presidency. Right? May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants. While everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. May the Father of all mercies scatter light and not darkness in our paths and make us all and our several vocations useful here and in his own due time and way everlastingly happy. Uh, We should pray that everyone in his own due time would be everlastingly happy because you may have thought that that verse or that those statements there that everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid. Is, that's a quaint little thing. Well, it's in the Bible. He's quoting Micah chapter four. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war. Everyone will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It should be our prayer for our nation that every one of our citizens can be at peace in the provision that God has given them and not afraid. Not afraid. There is no freedom if you're afraid. Did you know that? You can talk about being free, but if you are in bondage to fear, you're not free. And so as we think through this, as we think about, you know, how do I how do I love people that are so different from me? How do I love people who see the world so different from me? How do I love people who don't even know there's a God? Well, in this vision of the kingdom of God and its fullness what the prophet Micah says to us is, is, is that the picture of, 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 of peace in the land is people in their own provision able to live and to work without fear. We're a fearful bunch. The scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. Fear of God's rejection, fear of death, fear of not having what we need. But if we understand and we see and we can grasp just in our weak way the love of God to us in Jesus Christ, it sets us free then to pray and to seek and to work for the freedom from fear for others around us. Would you pray with me that God would do that in this election season uh, in and through us? Lord, help us today uh, that we would that we would be uh, free from fear. 
Help us to work and to love in such a way that we would free others from their temptation to fear. And would you, um, would you remind us today of how deeply and widely and strongly you love us in Jesus Christ. As you do that, Lord, set us free from the fear of man, uh, the fear of rejection, the fear of judgment, the fear of death, so that we would truly be free. And in that freedom, we would experience uh, what love really is. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's use this confession of sin that's based on 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not possessive. Love is not boastful or proud. Love is courteous. Love is not selfish. Love is not irritable or bitter. Love delights in truth and righteousness. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins.